Glucose is really our fundamental substrate of metabolism in our body for every single cell in our entire body, trillions of them to function. They need an energetic currency that they can use. And for so many of them, that is ATP. And that is created through a conversion of glucose in our cells, in our mitochondria to this usable uh, form of energy. So it's just such a fundamental sort of core part of human functioning. Well, hi everyone, I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Welcome again to The Empowering Neurologist. This might be one of the most important shows we've ever put on, and it deals with metabolic health. What does that mean? It deals with blood sugar and insulin, which are really a cornerstone issues as it relates to some of our most pervasive and devastating uh, issues in our society, like coronary artery disease, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's disease, and even cancer. We have got to rein in our blood sugar. No matter what diet you may be on, that is your goal. That does in fact lead to downstream benefits like weight loss and immune balance and reduction of inflammation, reduction of the generation of free radicals, for example. How do we know the effectiveness of our diets in terms of our blood sugar? And not just diet for that matter, but things like sleep and exercise and other lifestyle issues. Well, now we have technology so we can moment to moment learn what are the effects of our various choices on our blood sugar. And you, you've heard me refer to this before on other programs. It is called continuous glucose monitoring or CGM. This is a wearable device, a patch, that moment to moment will give you a readout in your smartphone exactly what your blood sugar is at that moment. Incredibly valuable information. Why? Because you can take that information and learn about how various things that you've done affect your blood sugar. Now, what's really exciting is there is software now put out by a company called Levels that looks at this information and allows you to compare various uh, meals, for example, levels of activity, uh, other aspects of your choices, and really give you incredible insight uh, in terms of how lifestyle choices are affecting your blood sugar. Again, you gotta do everything you possibly can to rein in your blood sugar control, and as such, your insulin response. I can't think of how many of our programs have been dedicated uh, to this fundamental concept as it relates to human health, that is metabolic health. So we're going to talk today with the co-founder of this company, Levels. Uh, her name is Casey Means, MD. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a Stanford-trained physician, a chief medical officer and co-founder of this metabolic health company called Levels. And she's also the associate editor of the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. Her mission is to maximize human potential and reverse this epidemic that we are experiencing of chronic diseases by empowering each and every one of us with tools that can inform us, uh, tools that are smart, that are personalized, and uh, allow us to make sustainable uh, lifestyle and certainly dietary choices as well as they relate to regulating our blood, uh, blood sugar. Now her perspective has been uh, recently featured in the New York Times, Men's Health, Forbes, Business Insider, uh, TechCrunch, Entrepreneur Magazine, The Hill, Metabolism, Endocrine Today, 
uh, and many, many more. Uh, she recently co-authored with me an op-ed uh, in MedPage today dealing with uh, the, sugar, the politics of sugar in America. She is an award-winning biomedical researcher uh, with past research positions at the NIH, Stanford School of Medicine, and at NYU. So let's learn everything we can about levels and about continuous glucose monitoring. So Dr. Means, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Dr. Perlmutter. I'm always so glad we can work through our uh, technology stuff when we have issues, but you're right, the restart uh, is the home run. Wish we had it for our bodies, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it um, worked today. I, I mentioned in the intro just how fundamental metabolism is and specifically you know, knowing our blood sugar levels. And that's something I think a lot of people have known for a long time. They've gone every four months or whatever to the doctor, get a fasting blood sugar every year or whatever. And, you know, then there came the ability of people to at least check their blood sugar at home. Mostly those were diabetics. Um, but now it's the dynamics of blood sugar that seems to be so incredibly valuable. So why don't we just start off by talking about why it is that knowing not just our blood sugar levels, but how it changes, why is that so valuable? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, glucose is really our fundamental substrate of metabolism in our body for every single cell in our entire body, trillions of them to function, they need an energetic currency that they can use. And for so many of them, that is ATP. And that is created through a conversion of glucose in our cells, in our mitochondria to this usable uh, form of energy. So it's just such a fundamental sort of core part of human functioning. And for most, at this point, the, the majority of Americans, we our glucose levels in our bodies are not where they're supposed to be. And the way we're processing energy is um, not efficient. It's not working properly. And that is fundamentally what we would call metabolic uh, dysfunction. You know, recent research out of UNC suggested that up to 88% of American adults uh, have metabolic dysfunction, meaning this whole process of energy conversion isn't working as optimally as it could. And this is really relevant to everyone because, um, you know, we see so many different symptoms and chronic conditions cropping up in our country that are becoming so, so common heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, you know, diabetes, obesity, infertility, and all of these things, they seem like totally different conditions. They're like, we look at them as like isolated silos in medicine. But when we really think about the physiology of these conditions, so many of them are actually rooted in blood sugar dysregulation and resultant insulin resistance. The trunk of the tree of all these seemingly different branches is actually the same. And, and, and we know that blood sugar is a contributing cause, maybe not the sole cause, but a big contributor to many of these conditions. So orienting around blood sugar in our everyday lives is just such a powerful tool, um, to improve our health in so many different ways. And the beautiful thing is, um, so many lifestyle and dietary choices can move our glucose in the right direction, can make our energy more efficient. 
And, you know, unfortunately it's just, it is an uphill battle because in our, just living a normal Western life, eating a normal Western diet, um, we are, we are going to be on the path towards a poor metabolism. It, you know, the, the way we're living these days really hijacks our system and makes it difficult for it to run properly. So really thinking about it, thinking about how to improve our metabolic health, our metabolic fitness, get our insulin sensitivity under control, get our glucose levels in a stable and healthy range, um, keep our metabolic processes functioning optimally is just one of the, I think the lowest hanging fruits we can do, um, to improve our health just in, in multifarious ways. And it's, it's just not, it's not a lens that we're orienting through commonly right now. When we talk about diet, we don't talk about diet and metabolic health in the same sentence generally, but I think really, we really should be. It's such a big, big topic and it's so incredibly important. I mean, I would say that you know, of all the programs that I've done on so many different topics, this has got to be absolutely ranked on the top. You know, when the World Health Organization tells us that the very chronic degenerative conditions that you just uh, enumerated uh, are represented as a class, the number one cause of death on our planet, we have to take notice. We have to take notice when you say that 88% of Americans have some degree of metabolic dysfunction. That does what? It paves the way for these chronic degenerative conditions. When it re relates to the brain, for example, Alzheimer's, we have no treatment. So to gain a foothold in terms of understanding these mechanisms on the front end really allows us to be a bit preventive as it relates to things like coronary artery disease, diabetes, obesity, and Alzheimer's, and so many others, even cancer. So, you know, um, there's uh, oftentimes the, the statement that, oh, I went to see the doctor and he, he or she said, I'm not diabetic, so everything's great. I always envision the word yet hanging out. <laughs> I'm not diabetic yet. And, you know, I think it's really so important to consider that diabetes shouldn't be considered binary, like pregnancy. In pregnancy, you either are or you ain't, you know, and uh, Diabetes isn't, well, now I have a, a fasting blood sugar that's 127, I have diabetes, but when I had a fasting blood sugar of 118, everything was great. You know, we recognize that issues are beginning already at a blood sugar of 105, 110, especially as it relates to the brain. And, you know, magically on television, I got my hemoglobin A1C below seven because I took XYZ drug. Therefore, I'm in great shape. It's not that way. Hemoglobin... A1C below a seven uh, still needs an awful lot of work. So what made you then in recognizing how fundamental it is to know not just our, our fasting blood sugar or A1C, but what are the dynamics of our blood sugar in relation to the choices that we make? What provoked you then to create this company? Yeah, so, you know, sort of, in terms of my sort of personal journey to really being a metabolic health focused physician, it started with being a surgeon. I was training as an ENT, had a neck surgeon and being so, you know, deeply embedded in the healthcare system. I was realizing that, um, you know, so many of the conditions I was treating as an ENT were fundamentally rooted in chronic inflammation. I was treating a lot of sinusitis, laryngitis, thyroiditis, all the itises. And it got me to step back and say, wow, so many of my patients are chronically inflamed. I'm reaching for my prescription pad for steroids to quell the immune system all the time. Um, why aren't we talking about the triggers of inflammation? What is the root cause of inflammation? We are just talking about how to, how to tamp down on it, but not what's actually triggering it. And 
you know, so I had, I was holding that in one space in my, in my mind. And, and I was also, you know, just when steroids don't work, we go to the operating room, you know, we bust a hole in the sinus and we suck, we suck pus out. And I was thinking, you know, you can't operate on the immune system. So this seems a little strange. We're dealing with inflammatory disorders with a, with an invasive intervention. Um, and so that was sort of on one side. I also knew from what I was, you know, seeing in patients and also, um, obviously what I'd learned in medical school that so many of the chronic conditions we're facing in our country are inflammatory in nature. We know that diabetes, Alzheimer's, obesity, all of these represent an upregulation of the immune system, a chronic low-grade inflammatory state. And what was interesting to me is that so many of the the cytokines, uh, like the inflammatory mediators that were upregulated in ENT conditions like interleukin-6 and TNF-alpha, they were also the same ones that were upregulated in these chronic lifestyle-related conditions like obesity and diabetes. And it just really got me to step back and think, you know, really focus on a more systems biology approach to the body. What is linking all of this? What are we why are we treating ENT conditions vastly different than obesity and diabetes when actually a lot of the physiology seems to be the same? That led me on this pretty long, intense journey to really try and understand some of the root causes of inflammation and some of these core physiologic links between so many of the diseases we're seeing in our country. Um, and what that really led me to was metabolic uh, disease and blood sugar, because we know that blood sugar and dysregulated blood sugar, instability in blood sugar, lots of big swings and chronically elevated blood sugar, both are big triggers of inflammation in the body. Um, we also know that uh, a huge proportion of the country is dealing with these issues. Like we were talking about 88% may have metabolic dysfunction. When we look at just blood sugar issues alone, 128 million Americans with prediabetes and diabetes, that's like getting upwards to 40% of the country, 72% of Americans with who are overweight or obese. These are epidemic level, um, conditions relating to blood sugar. We know that blood sugar stimulates inflammation and we're, we're not approaching at that level. So it, it got me saying like, what would it, what would it look like to step back and try and help all of these people get on top of their blood sugar? Like what if that seems very possible, we know that you can improve your blood sugar, even if they become unstable or elevated, you can move in the right direction, but it takes intensive dietary and lifestyle intervention. So it became imperative me to, for imperative, uh, to me to think through what are scalable ways that we can empower people to really create consistent dietary and lifestyle choices that, that get our blood sugar back under control and improve what I like to call metabolic fitness. And I like to call it metabolic fitness, not just metabolic health, because health sort of seems like a static state. It's something we have, or we don't have, but fitness is something that we work to improve. And that's actually the way that metabolism works. If you make, you know, consistent choices that, um, generate elevated blood sugar, generate elevated insulin levels that move you towards insulin resistance, your cells are going to become more insulin resistant. You're going to go in that path down metabolic dysfunction. However, if day in and day out, you're making choices that support metabolic health, that keep glucose spikes, you know, lower and more stable, keep insulin levels lower and more stable, get ourselves more sensitive to that insulin signal. You're going to move in the other direction that towards that, you know, more metabolically optimal state. So it's just like going to the gym to build muscles. You have to do it day in and day out. You have to build adaptations. It has, you have to put in the reps every day and over time, um, results will follow. So that's where ultimately my practice ended up going towards helping people with that in a clinical way. And then where my entrepreneurial work also went, which was co-founding levels, which is a wearable system that helps people understand what's happening with their blood sugar in real time, how food and, and lifestyle choices are affecting their blood sugar to build 
metabolic awareness so that we can start to improve. Um, it really came down to, okay, biggest epidemic we're dealing with in our country right now is metabolic dysfunction. To me, that's, that's really a no brainer. It, it is the biggest epidemic we're facing both in the U S and globally. It's contributing to, I think the vast majority of our healthcare costs and premature mortality in the U S um, nine of the 10 leading causes of death in the U S are related to blood sugar dysfunction in some way. Well, wait, um, you, you can't, you, you got to go down on that one. Okay. Nine out of 10 causes of death in America are related to blood sugar dysregulation. In That's some way, yeah, either contributed to or directly caused by. So for instance, cancer is one of the top 10 and we know that elevated blood sugar levels and diabetes worsens outcome with cancer. Diabetes is one of the top 10. So that's clearly one, um, heart disease, you know, Alzheimer's dementia, and even one of the top 10 is suicide. And we know that, um, people with metabolic dysfunction actually have higher rates of suicide. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And we have technology to actually measure our blood sugar in real time. We, this exists and yet it's not accessible to the average person. And if we've got this threat, we have tools to measure it. It's that's where levels originated from was to pair those things. Let's give technology to people so they can understand this aspect of their health so that you never have to walk into the doctor's office one day and get a surprise. You know, that, that seems so strange to me that you would walk into the doctor's office, you know, last year they said, you're fine. And this year they say, oh no, you have this diagnosis when we know that, you know, these things are dynamically changing all the time. And a diagnosis of diabetes probably started 20 or 30 years earlier. We also know that insulin resistance that leads to diabetes probably starts 13 to 15 years before our glucose levels ever really change. So we just, you know, giving more information to people to understand this aspect of their biology so they can actually stay on top of it and hopefully avoid that, that bomb being dropped on them in the doctor's office, you know, out of the blue when it doesn't have to be. Well, you just said something I think that's really very important for our viewers, and that is that uh, insulin levels start to rise before the blood sugar levels rise. In other words, as your blood sugar level is rising, you're challenging yourself your pancreas will respond with higher and higher levels of, in, of insulin secretion that will tend to tamp down your blood sugar. But now uh, you reach a point where the, the pancreas, even though it's cranking out maximum amounts of insulin, that cells become resistant to the, the functionality of insulin and therefore your blood sugar then starts to rise. But you're well along the continuum at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think and you just described it quite well about, you know, what is happening with the insulin resistance spectrum, but, you know, sort of just briefly, like just to reiterate what you said, you know, glucose spikes, the higher the glucose spike, the higher the insulin we're going to have to relieve from the pancreas, that hormone, you know, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, but it's allow it's, it's causing the glucose to be taken out of the blood into the cells. And when those spikes are happening to a high magnitude over and over and over again, day in and day out, year after year, the cells become numbed to that insulin signal. We, our pancreas has to produce more insulin to drive the exact same amount of sugar into the cells. And over time, they become more and more and more resistant. And the, the body is beautiful and can compensate for a long time by just pumping more insulin out and pumping more insulin out to maintain those that those blood glucose levels and to get that glucose into the cells. But over time, like you said, that, that process is going to, you know, poop out and we're going to see our blood sugar, um, levels rise in the blood. And, and that's when you're going to pick it up in the doctor's office. And that could be years, if not decades after you started having actually biologic dysfunction and this whole hormonal regulatory cycle. And what's also interesting about the other side of that insulin coin is that 
you know, insulin is a signal to the body that glucose is around and we need to take it up. But the secondary sort of message of insulin, there's many, many things that insulin does in the body, but a big one is it's a block on fat burning. So if insulin levels are high, it's a signal to the body. We have energy in the form of glucose. We don't need to tap into our fat stores or use fat for energy because we've got tons of glucose around. So it's a block on fat burning. So as those insulin levels are rising over time in response to insulin resistance, um, we're also putting more and more of a constitutive break on fat burning. Um, and so for anyone, you know, um, thinking through weight loss or, you know, wanting to store less fat or wanting to burn, burn more fat, I think there's a lot of movement in the community about talking more about insulin than talking about calories, um, because calories that stimulate insulin are going to have more of an effect on our ability to store or burn fat, uh, than calories that don't stimulate, uh, insulin. So there's, you know, a lot of things that come along with insulin elevation and, um, there's, you know, I think this is not in common practice now. We're really orienting around insulin when we think about prevention of diabetes or assessment of, of blood sugar issues. Uh, I think it's happening a lot in the functional medicine space where doctors will often order a fasting insulin test as part of a metabolic workup. And the reason that's important is because, you know, person A and person B could have the exact same fasting glucose levels. And let's say it's in the normal range, like 85. Person A could be maintaining that glucose level of 85 with a fasting insulin of two or three, their cells are so sensitive to insulin that they need very little insulin to keep their blood sugar levels at 85 person B could be much farther down on the insulin resistance spectrum. And they're having to put pump out 30 or 40, um, you know, of insulin, uh, and have insulin levels, fasting insulin levels of 30 or 40 to keep that glucose at 85. So on the fasting glucose test, they look the same but on the insulin test, they are vastly different. And person B is much more likely to be tipping into prediabetes or diabetes. So it gives a wealth of, of information that you can't just get, um, from, from glucose. And, um, one other just kind of interesting study that I was reading recently, there was a, a study looking at sleep and its effect on glucose levels and insulin levels. And they showed that people who on average slept 6.5 hours of sleep per night versus 7.5 to 8.5 hours of sleep per night, sleep has a strong impact on our metabolic health. Um, the people who slept the 6.5 hours had the same glucose responses as the people who slept 7.5 to 8.5, but they had to produce 50% more insulin, uh, to get that same glucose level. So just some really fascinating stuff there. And I think, um, we're starting to become aware to it in, in common practice, but it's still not a standard test that you're going to see ordered for the average, the average patient. Well, uh, but what people can have access to uh, is having a continuous glucose monitor if they have a forward-thinking healthcare provider to uh, prescribe that. So people can buy the, the CGM device uh, that comes with uh, software uh, that you have in your smartphone. But I, I, you know, as I have, I, I used that and saw what it, it told me, and it told me my blood sugar measurements at any given time, which was really helpful. But uh, you've taken it to the next gen. I mean, this is uh, you know a quantum leap, and you just mentioned, for example, sleep. So we, we'd like to know, uh, for example, uh, activity. And I think we have some images we can look like look at. These are actual uh, what you get on your smartphone. So let's look at this uh, activity catalog. Maybe you can uh, walk us through what we're seeing on our screens now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what the Levels app does is it takes this data stream from the continuous glucose monitors, which are these wearable sensors that are have a small internal probe and are measuring glucose 24 hours a day, seven days a week in response to everything you're doing during the day. 
um, takes that raw data stream of glucose data and our, our software converts into something that's usable and actionable and helps people make better decisions about their diet and lifestyle um, orienting around glucose. So the activity catalog is a feature where um, anyone who's logged food or a meal or a set of activities will get a score after two hours. And that, you know, basically after you eat something, you're going to digest it, glucose is going to rise in the blood, and then it's going to um, hopefully come back down if this whole system of, if insulin is working uh, properly and you can learn a lot from what happens in that elevation and that drop. Um, I like to say that every glucose curve tells a story and there's a lot of information embedded in the way that you respond to food that can tell us a lot about insulin sensitivity um, and glucose, how long it takes you to reach a peak and then comes back down, tells us something about insulin sensitivity, how high your peak is tells us so, something. So this person seems to be doing well. They're getting tens across the board, aside from the fact that their iPhone needs to be charged. This is my data. I, uh, I took some screenshots from my app and this is, I will say this is showing the top scores that I've gotten, but, um, but what's, what's really neat. And so what we do with the levels app is we take a lot of that information that's embedded in in that two hour response, time to peak, delta from baseline, how quickly you return, the area under the curve, you know, which is basically a, um, if you shaded the area under the peak, how big is that area? That tells us something about um, how much glucose your exposure you're getting after a meal. And we take all of that and we just put it into a score, a really easy score, scale of one to 10, um, 10 being a minimal glucose response, sort of an optimal metabolic response and zero being you know, poor metabolic response, like a really high spike or long time coming back. And then we create an activity catalog for you that basically shows you very easily. What are all the eights, nines, and tens you've gotten basically your A's and B's. Um, these are going to be the best meals for your metabolic response, have the least glycemic impact. Um, and then you can scroll down and see what didn't work so well for you. And by looking through those, you can start to make some inferences about what types of foods tend to keep you more stable. We want, again, we want to keep our glucose in a stable, um, fairly low and healthy range have, you know, small Hills after meals, but not big mountain peaks and valleys. Um, this is going to reduce the amount of insulin our body has to produce and, and sort of keep us on that path of insulin sensitivity. Um, and so people make all sorts of, you know, inferences from looking at this, like saying, oh, when I eat refined and processed grains, I tend to have much lower zone scores. Or when I add fat and protein to my fruit, like almond butter, um, or cheese to a piece of fruit, um, my glucose spikes are lower. That fat and protein seems to be buffering my response. Or when I add fiber to my oatmeal, plus some healthy fat, I have less of a response. And you start to learn these tools and these tips of what's in your metabolic toolbox to basically achieve that lower, uh, glucose. So here uh, we are response. looking at the second image at the zone scores. And I guess this is you, tofu, peanut butter, chia, coconut milk. That's, that's a big lunch. It's a strange uh, lunch, yeah. And again, you have to charge your iPhone. But uh, here you're getting a very nice uh, glucose response measured two hours after the meal, correct? It's a two-hour window after the meal, yeah. Yeah, during that window. So it's area, it's the, the entire curve that we're looking at. Exactly. We're looking at how... I don't have it right in front of me, but it, it'll probably say plus some amount, which is the Delta from baseline plus five or six or something like that. Um, and then it'll have the score. That's more of that composite metric that takes in a bunch of different features, but I'm generally shooting to not go more than above 30 milligrams per deciliter from baseline after eating something. I, you know, don't want to go up 50 or 60 or 70 glucose points. I want to stick to 30 
points of elevation or below, but ideally like 15 or less. And having used continuous glucose monitoring for the past 18 months or so and developing this software, I basically figured out a diet for me that I can eat huge meals, very diverse macronutrient profiles, and still keep my glucose really stable pretty much all the time. And that's just by learning the ways you can properly pair food, time foods, um, the way I can use exercise to my advantage, um, the impact of sleep and stress on my glucose levels, all of these things, putting them together, basically create a lifestyle plan that keeps glucose fairly stable without really any, there's no deprivation or minimizing food intake. It's just, it's just thoughtfully, uh, utilizing food to, you know, to your advantage. Now, the next image looks at a comparison uh, feature where you're able to look at your response of two different versions of something. I think in this case, it's yogurt side by side. Can you walk us through that? Sure, absolutely. So the compare feature is to show you two or more different versions of a meal or an activity and see which one had the least impact on your, on your glucose. So um, an example of this would be like, okay, I'm having unsweetened yogurt and I'm going to add fruit to one. I'm going to add fruit and nuts to one, and I'm going to add fruit and nuts and chia seeds to one. So in that first, in that first permutation, it's mainly adding a carbohydrate addition, fruit, sugar, the second one, it's adding fruit and fat. And the third one, it's adding fruit and fat and fiber. And so you can compare all your results to those three different experiments and see which one had the least glycemic impact on you. And most likely it's going to be that third one, the one that has fiber and fat in addition to the carbohydrate, but each person's body is different and each person will respond differently to these different things. But this is um, incredibly, incredibly valuable information in your, in the, the fourth uh, image, you're looking at a comparison between uh, element, which is an electrolyte supplement added to water, uh, mainly used, I think in people on a ketogenic diet. Uh, and then comparing that to the blood sugar surge, which we see in, in the white curve uh, of Gatorade. And this is pretty remarkable. I mean, it's like, you know, your own science kit writing on your smartphone. Totally. Yeah. It's like a little lab on your arm and, you know, element is this great athletics electrolyte drink and it tastes good and it's all natural. And, you know, it gives you what you need in terms of replenishment from a, from a hard activity. And most, many people are still using something like Gatorade, which is filled with like high fructose corn syrup and like a bunch of, you know, refined sugar stuff. And so, you know, someone might think, Oh, Gatorade's normal. That's fine to drink. And you know, if, if that's what you want to do, that's, that's perfectly fine. But to know that there are other options that are going to give you that same, you know, electrolyte boost, but with no glucose response, as opposed to a 50, 60 point glucose response. I mean, that's really important information to know because those spikes day after day, week after week, year after year, I mean, that's going to affect your physiology. Um, we did the, a similar experiment, one of our customers with, um, protein bars, like athletic protein bars. And they found that there were certain bars like the HVMN, um, bars and the, uh, think thin bars that basically cause like no glucose spike at all. A cliff bar had like an 80 or a hundred point spike. And so all things being, you know, walking to a grocery store, you might just grab a cliff bar and think that's fine. And, and for some people it might be fine. It might not cause a big glucose elevation in certain people, but knowing that information, you know, and, and just sort of reframing from, oh, they're all the same. They all have some carbs to, wow, these are totally different responses for my body. I think I personally think that's very helpful information. Well, the last section, uh, last image here is from the learn section. And I think this might also be one of the most valuable things that you offer. 
uh, which is frequently updated. So what kinds of things are you presenting in this section? Yeah, so we're working with just a, a variety of, you know, the, the key thinkers in this space about producing content that's going to be really relevant to the average individual trying to optimize their metabolic health. Right now, if you search glucose or metabolic health on the internet, most of what you're going to find is about diabetes and pre-diabetes or scientific research papers. But there's very little for individuals who are otherwise healthy, who are sub-diabetic, you know, they don't have a diagnosed metabolic condition yet, but want to learn how all these things are relevant to their own health, their current performance, their current day-to-day living, and then their avoidance of future disease. So that's really the niche that we're, we're filling, um, is translating this research, uh, for people that are looking to orient their diets and their lives around improving metabolic health. Um, so it's just a, a vast array of great information. You know, how does glucose affect our inflammation? How does sleep impl- um, impact our metabolic health? Um, how does exercise uh, impact our metabolism and our glucose control? And on the flip side, how can different types of fueling improve our athletic performance? Um, not a lot of it is, uh, about chronic disease and about avoidance of these conditions and, and really about what we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast. But a lot of it's also about current performance because what's so interesting about glucose is it's kind of at the nexus of our day-to-day lives and improving our sort of lived experience of our current lives, but then also avoidance of disease. It's not just about sort of keeping things in check now so we don't get sick in the future. It's also about making our day-to-day lives better. And really, I think the way to look at this is when there's a variability in our glucose, we often feel variability in our day-to-day lives. When glucose shoots up and then crashes down, that's a process called reactive hypoglycemia. When we get a really high glucose spike, we produce a ton of insulin. And sometimes our body can overshoot in taking that out of the bloodstream. And that period of overshooting when your glucose is actually low after a high spike meal, people can feel jittery. They can feel anxious. They can feel like they have brain fog. And so so that variability in our glucose curves really does map on to um, variability in our in our sort of psychological experience of the day. And I, I feel that more stability in our glucose levels day in and day out translates to more stability in our, you know, our energy, our mental health, our, our brain performance. For those of us who are in this field where we are doing our best to stay current with scientific uh, literature related to the nutritional recommendations that we make, we know that there are broad stroke recommendations. You and I just put out an op-ed in, on, in MedPage about just the issues related to sugar consumption. That's kind of a broad stroke recommendation. But what you're describing here is as personalized as could be. There, You are at the N of one getting this instant feedback with uh, respect to how your unique body with all of the nuances from your genome, your microbiome, your current state of metabolic health, et cetera, how your body is responding to various challenges, whether it's almonds versus cashews or uh, aerobics versus uh, strength training. So it couldn't be more specific in terms of the information that's good for me as an N of one. I mean, you know, I've learned that almonds are good uh, and cashews for me are worse in terms of my glucose response. I would never have known that. So it's those subtle things that can be in, in the aggregate uh, change to bring about better blood sugar control, which, you know, to get to the beginning of our time together today is really the key. It's the key to metabolic health uh, opens the door to being healthy across a very, very wide spectrum indeed as relates 
to the things that we fear the most, cancer, coronary artery, mm. Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity, and a whole host of inflammatory conditions, not to mention, why do people say not to mention, then they mention it, which <laughs> not to mention, but I will mention, um, risk of bad outcome as it relates to COVID. So having said that, uh, we know that uh, people on the diabetic scale, certainly type two diabetics, have a bad response. And we know that there is an immune play here that is influenced by blood sugar control. So again, to get that information is so valuable, moment to moment, not in the doctor's office. What, what you've done is really quite um, dramatic. And it's really, um, you know, it's, it's really going to move the needle. But to be sure, uh, things are going really well with levels. I mean, I think that your growth numbers are absolutely phenomenal. Tell us a little bit about how the company is doing. Yeah, I mean, things are things are going going great. We've been around for about eighteen months, and we have you know been really excited to see just a huge interest in this space, which to me is really hopeful uh, because it means that people are starting, it's starting to get into the zeitgeist, how much sugar is affecting our health, um, our future health, but also our current performance. Um, you know, we've got all sorts of demographics who are interested in this, which is also great to see, you know, ranging from keto enthusiasts, people who already are sort of following a low carb diet and really want to optimize and learn what foods are actually okay or not okay to keep them in ketosis. We've got lots of people in the weight loss community who are interested in, in understanding weight loss more through that metabolic lens, the hormonal insulin related lens, not just about calories in calories out, but really focusing on keeping that glucose and insulin more stable. We've got a lot of pro athletes who are really looking to get that extra advantage on fueling. They want to, um, they want to make sure that they're staying metabolically flexible for their sports. And what that means is that they are good at burning both carbohydrates, but also fat during their events. They, they want to be able to tap into all the energy in their body and not just glucose. And like we were talking about earlier, when our glucose and insulin levels are constitutively high, it's blocking our ability to burn fat. And so if you're an athlete and you want to get the maximal amount of um, sort of energy, uh, from your body, being able to switch back and forth between fat and carb burning is helpful. So many athletes are interested in fueling through that lens, but also we know that high glucose spikes impact inflammation and may impact recovery. So people also want to make sure that in the recovery state, they're not, you know, potentially causing unnecessary spikes that are going to sort of impair the recovery process. Um, so yeah, keto weight loss athletics, but then we've of course just got people who are generally interested in nutrition and finding the right diet for them. We have such loud voices in the nutrition space right now who are arguing with each other seemingly constantly about, um, which is the white diet. And it can be really confusing for people. So we've never had objective data on how a diet is actually impacting us. We've kind of had to you know, listen to whoever is, has the loudest voice at the time and do, or trial diets and see what works for, for our body and see if we're having results. But with most dieting, it's a lagging indicator. You know, you, you make these investments, you try something, but you might not see a result for a long time. You might see the, your weight change, you know, in a few days or a week, you might see your glucose levels in six months change, but we don't have that instant feedback on like, okay, this is a good choice for me. This is not. So I think nutrition wearables like this are going to be really helpful for people who have been struggling with finding the right personal nutrition plan for them. And then of course, there's people who are more in the camp of wanting to focus on longevity and actually like focus on staying healthy for the long run. So it's 
a whole spectrum of, of different people who are interested. And, you know, we have 95,000 people on our wait list right now. We're, we're in a beta phase, you know, right, right now, and really trying to just, um, keep our, get our product as, as perfect as possible before we, we launch to sort of the, the onslaught of people. But I'm, I'm just heartened to see that there's interest in this and it's becoming more, I think, a part of the cultural zeitgeist, a lot in part to you and your books that you've written that have really, you know, nailed home these messages for years and years and years. And so, um, we're kind of trying to just support that same, um, ideologic message and, and continue to get it out into the, into the mainstream. Yeah. You know, we've been at that for, for quite <laughs> some time and, uh, and yet there's still such pushback from mainstream. I recall, uh, last year, actually it's probably two years ago now with the missing, the, the, the lost year of COVID, uh, being on a, a program, CBS morning show where they said, you know, you're telling people that they should, uh, control their blood sugars and not eat sugar to be good for their brain. But we reached out to the sugar industry. I'm not kidding on national television. And they, and they said that sugar in moderation is perfectly wonderful for your health. You know, and it's, uh, that's okay. It's why you and I just wrote that, that op-ed because it's not okay. It's not good for your health. And it's something in the human diet that has never been there. There's nothing natural or speaking to our genome appropriately about consuming uh, excess sugar or added sugar. Uh, it is a powerful metabolic signal that's telling the body that uh, caloric scarcity may be in your future, that winter is coming and you need to make fat, you need to increase your inflammation, you need to become insulin resistant because that will allow you to survive during times of caloric scarcity. That's not our modern world. We've certainly got an abundance of calories, though we may not have necessarily an abundance of nutrition, uh, that's for sure. But anyhow, um, before we close, what's uh, what's down down the, uh, the range for, for levels? What are you uh, planning uh, for the future, near term and long term, and on the wish list, where do you think it's going to go? Many, many directions. You know, I think um, first and foremost, our core, our core focus is generating metabolic awareness in a really effective way at scale. So, helping people learn um, about how not only diet but also lifestyle affects their glucose levels. So, building a product that does that is um, our our core focus right now. Um, and hopefully changing our customers' lives for the better. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about food, food combinations and things like that in this, uh, in this episode, but it's, it's amazing how much else affects our glucose levels Our how much sleep we're getting, uh, very much affects our insulin and glucose levels, how, how much stress we have and how we respond to stress and our stress hormone levels, levels in our body significantly impacts our glucose levels. Our exercise, of course, impacts glucose with really any form of exercise being optimal, being um, good for our metabolic health and our insulin sensitivity. It seems like the more consistently we move throughout the day, the better for our metabolic health. So actually moving for a few minutes every half hour or so seems to be better for metabolic health than just doing like one half hour workout a day. So consistency is important. Microbiome has a huge impact on our metabolic health and micronutrient status. So what are not just our macronutrients, but our micronutrients, our B vitamins, manganese, manganese alpha-lipoic acid, zinc, um, vitamin C, these things all impact our enzymatic reactions for metabolic health. So with all of that in the model of how to keep glucose stable, building a product that really gives people that holistic understanding of how to live a holistically healthy life. It's not just about eating low carb and avoiding 
foods. It's, it's about building a body over time that through all of these mechanisms has a readout of glucose that is positive. And that doesn't just mean avoiding carbohydrates. It means building a body that processes carbohydrates, healthy carbohydrates properly. So, so that's really our, our product roadmap is, is teaching people how to do that. Um, and part of that is involving other data streams. So heart rate data, heart rate variability data, step data, sleep data, merging that with a glucose data stream to be able to give people higher level insights. And then down the road, potentially looking at multi-analyte sensing. So right now, only continuous biomarker we have possible is glucose. That's the only sort of on the body lab tests that you can do at home 24 hours a day. There's, there's nothing else. And it's a great one because it's, it's, it's our, it's our key metabolic substrate. But I think we're going to see huge movement in the industry towards other analytes being sensed by in continue in a continuous fashion as biofeedback, which I think is going to really change the game for personalized nutrition. And we're, um, very much involved in helping to, um, look into that and research that, um, and hopefully be a part of moving in that direction. So, um, we're working a lot with our research partners. We have partnerships with Brigham Young University, uh, uh, soon to be Thomas Jefferson University, uh, University of South Florida, doing a number of academic research um, uh, collaborations to really understand metabolic health better. Um, and so that's just kind of the, the beginning, but we're just really excited to, um, to move forward. And, and hopefully, I, I think aside uh, goal for us is to also make this hardware just wa- massively more accessible. Right now, it's a high price device; it's prescription only. Um, currently, these devices are um, mostly used in the type one and type two diabetic community for monitoring their their um, conditions. Um, we're bringing this more to the wellness market, but at the end of the day, these could really benefit anyone. Um, they're a life-saving technology for the type one community. They're a very helpful adjunct for the type two community. And then of course they're for more optimization and health maintenance for the wellness community. But end of the day, the prices of these need to come down massively and they need to be widely accessible for all populations who need them. So we're hoping to be a part of that movement as well. Well, The the irony is that this keeps you from, if, if you implement the data, this keeps you or helps prevent you from becoming a type two diabetic. So why not, you know, there was a time when you couldn't have a PSA test done unless you had prostate cancer. Mm. (laughs) So uh, why not? I mean, uh, and and the next question would be how reluctant are, let's say, mainstream allopathic physicians, how reluctant are they to prescribe a continuous glucose monitor for someone who's not diabetic or not even really close? Yeah. You know, from what I've just seen anecdotally, it's, it's certainly not common practice. Now I've seen it very common practice in the functional medicine community and the longevity community, but not so much in the mainstream allopathic medicine. Although generally when I have a conversation about this with doctors, by the end of the conversation, they're like, Oh, I should be doing this. Like, especially for conditions that are, you know, very metabolic related and difficult to treat, but we don't, have good treatments for them. So for instance, I have a number of OBGYN friends, uh, who treat polycystic ovarian syndrome all the time. And polycystic ovarian syndrome is the leading cause of infertility in the United States. And it is, you know, from a hormonal perspective, we see an abundance of androgen or male type hormones in the female body, which causes menstrual irregularities, infertility, and other symptoms like hair growth, um, hirsutism, acne, uh, and other symptoms, uh, weight, central, uh, obesity. Um, and we know that people with PCOS are 
half will be diabetic by the time they're 40. It's, it's just astronomical, the overlap between the infertility and the metabolic derangements. And the thought about this is that as insulin resistance in the body develops in these women, um, the insulin, the elevated insulin, uh, that's results from insulin resistance stimulates a particular cell type in the ovary, the theca cells to produce more testosterone. And that's really the root. So if we can get insulin levels down, take the accelerator off the theca cell androgen production, you can actually improve PCOS symptoms. And there's been a number of dietary and lifestyle studies showing that low glycemic diets and ketogenic diets, both low carb diets, improve PCOS symptoms, all sorts of metabolic biomarkers and infertility rates. However, one study that I quote that looked at institutional ketogenic diet in a, it was a group of five, a woman with PCOS and uh, I think three of them actually became pregnant. So mm -hmm. we know that there is a huge microbiome uh, issue there as well. And interestingly, you know, to your point, probably the number one uh, pharmaceutical intervention for these women is metformin, a drug that right. is, you know, generally used for diabetes. Although we could talk about uh, the other aspects of that that may relate to, uh, you know, correcting metabolism through the antikinase pathway. But nonetheless, uh, I've been very much looking forward to chatting with you today. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, as you know, very thrilled uh, with what you're doing. Uh, I've expressed it to you in, in phone calls before, and uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to participate on an, an advisory role because I think this is really so very, very important. So I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Perlmutter. It's just um, a, such an honor and pleasure to get to work with you. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Great. Well, we'll talk soon. As I stated in the intro, nothing is more fundamental than controlling our metabolism, controlling, balancing our blood sugar, balancing our insulin response. Now we have the technology to know moment to moment what is the effect of our lifestyle choices, our exercise, the foods we eat, the stress that we experience, the amount of sleep we get? What is the effect on our blood sugar? That is vitally important and extremely empowering information that is brought to you now from Levels, an incredible uh, software that utilizes the information that is put out by your continuous glucose monitor. Hope you enjoyed the program today. Thank you again for joining us. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Bye for now.